Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron, or praise band. Thank you for that gift on this day. Would you find in your Bible 2 Timothy chapter 2? Going to be reading verses 20 through 26. 2 Timothy will be in uh, chapter 2 of that. We will continue with our series as we talk about Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament probably next week, but uh, taking a little bit of a hiatus with uh, VBS and other happenings and maybe focus here on this. Uh, on this Father's Day. But we're glad to see you today. Gentlemen, uh, if you, some of you came in after we passed out the Snickers and the Bible verse, and if you didn't get one of those, probably if you raise your hand now or sometime, we'll be sure that you get one if you missed on the way. So uh, there you go. Raise your hand if you missed that on the way. We'd love for you to get one. Now, uh, if you're 20 and over, gentlemen, we use that term loosely, I guess, for some, but uh, yeah, we'd be glad to get that to you as well. But uh, so you can, that is for you any time, of course, and we show our appreciation, but for this next half hour, uh, only open in case of an emergency. In other words, if you really need it, but we're going to be working so that you don't need it today. And we're glad that you here are here as well. You know that uh, some of us were in New Orleans. Uh, we are a Southern Baptist church. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and there was meeting, great highlights that took place. One of those was crossover New Orleans, and uh, we had several from our church who were a part of that. It is a uh, witnessing and serving uh, campaign that takes, takes, place, takes place on the weekend or the week before, and we had several that were there, part of a block party on Saturday, and we appreciate those uh, from our church who went to be a part of that. Of all those who went... Uh, there were over a thousand gospel conversations. There were over 300 who gave their heart and life to Jesus for the very first time that we know of. And so we celebrate that as well. Another highlight of this past week, 70-something, 70 79, 72, but uh, maybe 79 missionaries were commissioned, each giving their testimony and uh, were commissioned, great commissioning service uh, uh, that took place as well. And so lots of other positive things that took place. I'm glad to be a part. You know, when we think about those things that we are uh, loyal to, we're loyal to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are as a church to that which is best for our church. But I'm thankful to be a part of a denomination that continues to make the Bible and use the Bible as its guide. And on this Father's Day, uh, it's kind of it's strange because on, we did this on Mother's Day. So on Father's Day, because maybe also because of the direction in which we're going today, I find I want to give tribute maybe to the ladies in the church as well and how much we appreciate how the Lord continues to use ladies. And I want to tell you the influence in my life. I think about it in my home growing up, my mom, my wife today. I think of uh, ladies that taught me in Sunday school and in church, had a great influence on my life. I would not be the person I am today without the ladies of the influence. Some from this church who I've known for 30 years who continue to have influence on my ministry as well today and continue to be influencers on me. So I, I say that today. It may seem strange on Father's Day, but also so that might be able to say, men, we're going to talk to you today, and we're going to honor you, but also talk to you today. And some of it might be seem directed toward the men, but application certainly for all of us as well. Is that enough preliminary? Maybe, perhaps, maybe you found the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 20 and following now. This is the Word of God. It says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace 
along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. Men, I want to get your attention today, so let's begin by talking about the U.S. Open guests playing uh, this uh, weekend as well. Hey, there's some records being set. I think there's already been records being set of the worst golf that some perhaps have played in the U.S. Open and some playing their best as well. But I really mentioned it because I saw a highlight in the U.S. Open. It was a highlight of, even though he won the U.S. Open the second time over 20 years ago, it was of Payne Stewart. Some of you perhaps know that name. Some of you may not. But he was a one-time golfer. One of the highlights was that on the 18th hole, the last round, suck a 15-foot putt to go up once against Phil Mickelson and win the U.S. Open for his second time. In fact, he already had won three majors. He was part of the Riders' Cup. He was the third leading money winner. And just a few months after winning the U.S. Open, uh, he was in a plane, and uh, they lost compression in the plane, a private plane, and everyone in the plane died while the plane was still on autopilot. Some of you are old enough perhaps to remember this because it's been a couple of decades ago, but for the entire day they were following that plane, not knowing exactly, maybe they knew by the time, but knowing that the plane was on autopilot, just waiting for it, and finally it ran out of fuel, and then it uh, uh, crashed in the field. But he's still remembered today. He's remembered for lots of reasons. One, he wore knickers and an old golf hat. He was the only one, even 20 years ago, that would wear such so you could see him out wherever he was. Also known certainly for the uh, many uh, championships that he won. Uh, but also because he turned his life over to the Lord Jesus. When he won the first U.S. Open, he was known by fellow golfers and others who knew him well to be rude, arrogant, impatient, and anxious. But a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus changed his life. His wife once said about him, said before he gave his life to Jesus, the only thing that really mattered was golf. But instead he found a greater accomplishment, not in golf, but it was how much he loved the Lord, how much he loved his family. Jim Hendry was his pastor in Orlando. And at the funeral, he said, at one time pain had everything, but there was a missing link, a void that nothing, no honor, no person could fill. And then something took place. What happened? Well, Payne Stewart himself described this dramatic change in his life. And he said this not long before he died. He said, I'm proud of the fact that my faith in God is so much stronger. And I'm so much more at peace with myself than I've ever been in my life. Where I was with my faith last year and where I am now is leaps and bounds apart. Having turned his life over to Jesus Christ, he became a man of honor. It is my desire that as we've gathered on this Lord's Day, even on this Father's Day, that we will see the larger picture that we are a part of as men and boys and fathers and husbands. May all of us, including all the ladies present, all children, may we see that God has uniquely placed us and gifted us so that we might be able to take part in kingdom work while we're here on this earth. It's my prayer and it's my uh, desire today that each of us will be either ignite the flame or be rekindled or maybe just continue the flame uh, for that we need to have that is 
that we might be living for Jesus and following Him. Not just because we must, not just because it's our duty, but because we realize that it is a great honor to be serving our Lord and Savior, the Master, uh, the one who has called us into service. Notice a key verse, verse 21. This is the way it says in the New King James. It says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. May we be men of honor, ready to serve the master. Maybe if the masters was this weekend, that might fit even better. I don't know, but we will be prepared to do good work. Scripture says that we are holy, that we are sanctified. The word sanctified means that we are to be set apart. We're taking from something. In other words, we're taking from one kind of life in order that we might be placed to a different kind of life, a different kind of lifestyle. In other words, we're saved from sin and we're sanctified to serve. So in the next few minutes, I want us to see men, hopefully all others as well, but how we might be fit vessels of honor. You've got your notes there, hopefully help you to follow along. But the vessel must be clean. And must be empty, or better way to say it, perhaps I must be clean and I must be empty. I use the letter I there, the pronoun, so that you might make it personal, but also that you might be able to see that this is what I'm seeking to do too, that we want to be useful vessels uh, for the kingdom. So, in order to be a fit vessel, I must clean the heart. I must clean my heart. Now, this is a good passage for Father's Day for more than one reason. But I want you to see why I think it's a good passage for men today because, you know, sometimes there are those complicated illustrations that maybe you ladies get pretty easily, but for us men, we need something simple. And Paul gives us something simple here today. Some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago in preparation for Vacation Bible School, we talked about Peter and uh, how Peter answered the question when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response to that, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And I think we all agreed that the rock, the foundation, was Jesus. Peter affirmed that in his letters. He talked about Peter being the, about Jesus being the foundation. Paul also writes more than once about how Jesus is the rock, the foundation of the church, and the kingdom of God being Jesus. Now Paul uses this illustration with Jesus as the foundation. There's a house that's being built. And he writes for us, we read it in verse 20 a moment ago, there's lots of vessels or containers. And he's talking like bowls and jar, jars and dishes and these kinds of things. And he says, some are honorable, some are not. Some vessels are of gold and silver and some are of wood and clay. In this big house or in this great house, which the kingdom of God is a big house, it's a great house. And the gold and the silver are used for honorable purposes. In other words, they were serving pieces. They were used for service. Those that others were used for dishonorable. Now we might imagine what dishonorable might be, taking out the trash, leftover stuff. But in God's house, every vessel can be used for honorable purpose. So what must we do in order to be an honorable vessel fit for God's purpose? We recognize that it's not what on the outside that matters, but it's what's on the inside that matters. Does that not remind you perhaps of something or maybe more than one time that Jesus talked about this very thing? In fact, he said at one time, it's not what's on the outside that defileth a man, but it's what's on the inside. And like a bucket coming up from a well, what's on the inside comes out of the mouth. 
Have you ever noticed Jesus can get personal? We must clean the heart by confession of sin. We must empty the heart of those things that do not belong so that we might be able to have a heartfelt compassion and desire to be like Jesus. We began in verse 20 a moment ago, but if you've got your Bibles open, you may have it on the screen as well. Verse 19, the verse right before that says this. It says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who are honorable, dishonorable. And then notice the last part. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, our hearts and our lives can get so filled, even those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, they can get so filled with the trash and the sins of this world that we can no longer digest or we can no longer make room for the things of God. But the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, you know this verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and do what? He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must confess. And today I'm asking men, boys, and girls, and ladies for us to be sure that we have confessed and cleaned the vessel. For cleaning is confessing, removing that which does not belong, that which is not beneficial. Now, this passage gives us several of those items which our vessel need to be emptied of. We must be empty of that which is not useful. We cannot expect to be a useful vessel of God if we're already being filled with something else that we know is not of God. So this helps us here. It helps us to rid our vessel of those things that do not belong. One of those things are lies. We need to rid our vessel of lies, those things that are not true, those things that can ruin your usefulness and my usefulness. In the context of this chapter, Paul is warning Timothy about false teachers that's going on inside and outside the church. They were teaching and they were leading others astray. In fact, we have an example of that here in this chapter. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, 16, 17 and 18, 2 Timothy 2 verse 16 says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Now, exactly what the false teaching was, we're not sure, but it probably had something to do with the fact that they were denying that there was a resurrection in the next life or that there was going to be a resurrection of all those who believed in Jesus, probably were teaching this is all there is. This is all there is. And that we're not teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. But regardless of what theirs was, we face today some of those lies that are theological. Can you, you probably could name some of those, some of those being told today. I mean, there are many people who say there's more than one way to heaven. doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. We recognize that that's a lie. If there, and there's a lie that uh, is not a new lie, but it's becoming even more and more prevalent, and that is that everybody makes it to heaven. Everybody makes it. Well, universalism is what that is called, but we understand, we recognize, we might want that to be true, but we recognize Jesus is the only way. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the only way. No one, no way to make it to the Father except by me. But Jesus said also, no one coming to the Father but by Him. And without repentance, there's no remission of sin. 
We probably could list several things that are being told today as well as what we know that are not true, being taught perhaps in other denominations or perhaps other churches or maybe even outside the church. But you know the biggest lie that's being told today is that there is, theologically speaking, that there is no absolute truth. That there is no way to know the truth. It's just uh, relevant to what you think is true or relevant to today. We, that's a lie. I want to make sure that you understand that because there is absolute truth. And there's only one way in which we might be able to know the truth. And we know the greatest authority that we have. It is in the Bible and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is the truth. And then there are the lies that are not so much theological, but they're more secular. One lie says... Contentment, satisfaction, and real living is found in something other than a relationship with Jesus. In other words, you, you, you want contentment in this life, you want satisfaction, it's going to be found in something this world has to offer, in something that you can gain, in some materialism, in something else. Well, truth, real truth, is found in God's Word. Anything contrary to what the Bible says is true or lies, and we need to be rid of it. For some reason, whenever I think of Lies. Uh, I, for some reason, I always think of politics or politicians as if those words were synonymous. That's just us talking here, you understand? Even though I know that they're not. I'm, I'm sure that there are some trusted politicians. And that is not an oxymoron, though it may sound like it sometimes. But men, may it be synonymous and not an oxymoron to say trusted Christian men, or to say men and women, boys and girls with integrity who are followers of Jesus. So we recognize we need to rid ourselves of the lies of this world to believing those lies or having those in our heart, and we need to live with integrity. But also, we recognize, and that's something else we need to rid our hearts of, according to the scripture, the evil desires of youth. The evil desires of youth. In the King James, it talks about it as youthful lust. Now, most of the time, this passage is directed perhaps toward young people, their desires of the flesh. But we're going to broaden that scope a little bit today with a biblical understanding. Now, there's a similar passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 that says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So the lust of the flesh and the sexual sins are very serious sins we need to deal with and be sure that that's not is what is filling our heart. And while it's included here in 2 Timothy, probably the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7 give us a more fuller understanding, comprehensive teaching on sex and marriage for Christians. We've talked about those in the past. We probably, and I'm sure that we will again. So Paul tells Timothy to flee youthful passions Teach others to do the same. Now, in our culture, even among believers, instead of the fleeing, we often like to see just how close we can get. We have a tendency to move closer to the lust of the flesh. But you might remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat, in the seat of scorners or scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And so, how we approach sexual temptation has been compared to buying a brand new automobile 
and driving it up to a cliff, revving the engine, stopping on the gas, thinking that you can stop that car before you get to the edge of the cliff and hitting the brakes just in time. And if you do it over and over again, you know how eventually there's going to be a crash. Well, we consider that foolishness because eventually we're going to hit that brake too late. Not to mention the waste of a brand new automobile, but you see the difference. Even for those who want to do right in this area, instead of fleeing the other way, many like to get a little bit of a closer look before the crash. This culture teaches in this particular arena, well, whatever you think is right, whatever is consensual, that's okay. Well, that may be what the culture teaches, but the Bible instead gives reasons to stay far away from those things that are only appropriate between married couples. Flee, don't flirt with youthful passions. Apostle Paul writes this to a grown man to teach to other grown men as well as young men and all believers. Now, I will tell you that this particular passage has more to do than just the sexual desires of youth. The Bible has it right. Men are to flee from those immature desires which are always more selfish than God honoring. But we might understand it as immature lust or passions. But notice the plural, passions. These are not just of sexual nature. They include pride, which can be a selfish desire, a desire for wealth. Did you know that it could be wrong to have a desire for more? My goodness, we, we live in a society to where that probably seems uh, so out of character. We think it more of, a, uh, more of an attribute to have a desire to more for more than to not. But you know, as a man, men and women of God, we're to have one passion. And our passion is both to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Lord gives you wealth, and by the way, if you have wealth, and compared to the rest of the world, we all have wealth, it's only because God has made that so. And He, and he wants to use your wealth to continue to be used for kingdom work. Flee from youthful passions can also mean being hot-tempered, intolerant of others. Only my way is the right way. Or when it comes to church being apathetic or only half-hearted, these would be considered immature responses responses and immaturity probably has little to do with age we'd like to think that the older we get the more mature but it doesn't happen automatically so to be fit vessels we're to rid ourselves of our desire for selfish riches our desire for power our desire to be successful in the sexual sins does this sound like radical stuff it is radical to the world it is biblical couple other things that we need to empty ourselves of and that's one of those that we find in this passage is an argumentative spirit do you know those who are always ready to argue when they love to debate they are ready to put you down by their words if at all possible well this was a mark of the false teachers this is how they debated everyone else in the time of that Paul was telling Timothy well They'd rather debate their opinion than lift a finger to help someone or to show compassion. But I want to put a focus back on verse 23 that we read a moment ago. When it says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. Now the word for foolish is the biblical word moros. It's from where we get the word moron, meaning mentally dull or stupid which was a word when I was growing up, I was never to say as a kid. I had to become a preacher in order to be able to describe this word, but that's what that word means as well. 
It means what you might think a dull of little account. One reason we want to get rid of an argumentative spirit is because it prevents us from revealing just how, stu how inept we really are. We're to rid ourselves of discussions that promote ourselves, that which leads to division. Verse 24 repeats again, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. It, it reminds us just of what this passage of being a man of honor is all about. It's not about honoring self. It's about serving. It's about serving in your home. It's about serving in the church, serving in your community. We serve God by serving others. Now, this is not a complete list of all the things perhaps we need to rid ourselves of. But anything that promotes ourself or our own agenda, even if it's, we think it's good, it's, it may not be best if it does not honor God. We need to empty out the vessel to make room for God's goodness. And then we also need to empty out the vessel of the neglection of God's of kingdom work, neglecting kingdom work. One sure sign of neglect is filth. I mean... In your home or in the church, if you neglect the home, we neglect the church. I mean, physically, of things, then eventually everything's going to be dirtier wherever you are. Well, if, if you're neglecting the things that you need to do in your spiritual life, if we're neglecting the things that we need to do in our church, well, it's going to leave behind filth. In other words, it's going to leave behind those things that do not make us clean, those things that we need to be diligent about. At my house growing up after supper, I've got three brothers, so there were four of us. But we'd, we'd always have to wash, dry, or put away. And we'd call all those things out. Now, there were four of us. I don't remember baby brother doing much. He was, I think maybe we had the dishwasher by the time he started helping. But, uh, and so we would always call out. I would always want to call out, I'm washing. Because, two, one, because I wanted to get through first. And I did not have final inspection. I thought whoever dried, whoever put away would have the final inspection as well. Because nobody, well, first of all, we didn't want mama to pull something out. But nobody wants to eat off a dish that has leftover stuff that is there inside that dish. Paul's illustration. There's a lot of dishes or vessels in the house. Some are honorable, some are not. Some are fit vessels, some are not. Now let's be clear, Paul's talking about those who are believers in the Lord Jesus and those who are not. Those who are teaching falsehood, those who are false teachers, and those who are teaching truth. But what we find here is that there's application for all believers, all followers of Jesus. So to be fit for God's kingdom, for God's house, it must be clean. Stuff must be removed. Let's not neglect keeping our lives fit for service. Now, imagine you're walking across the desert. You're parched. You're almost about to die of thirst. You come across two vessels that you could use to drink out of. One is a golden vessel, but inside it's all dirty. It's crummy stuff all inside. And the other, it's kind of a wooden, it's a plain vessel, but inside it has been cleaned. If you have an opportunity to drink out of, which, of those, which one would you drink out of? You drink out of the clean one. Let's give the Lord uh, to have as much intelligence that He wants to use what is clean. You may not feel like you're a very ornamental vessel. You may not feel like you're very special. But if you will empty your vessel, if your vessel will become clean, the Lord will use you because He uses clean vessels. Once we have emptied 
cleaned out what should not be there. We're in pursuit of allowing God to fill our vessel with the right stuff. So the vessel must be filled with the right stuff. I must be filled with the right stuff. Now here's what we learn from this passage we need to be filled with. One of those is that we need to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. Now we know in Galatians 5 we have nine fruits of the Spirit. But there are several that are mentioned here in this passage. See if you recognize them or if you have recognized them. Four are mentioned in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 that we need to pursue. Now notice when Paul says you need to run, flee from that youthful passions. You need to run empty. Well, then you need to run toward these very things. So he says flee these passions. And then in verse 22 he says pursue after these fruits of the Spirit. Uh, and until we have emptied our lives, until we have emptied our vessel, we are going to be unable to fill it with something else. And until we fill our vessels with those things that the Lord has asked us to fill, we're going to continue to empty with that which should not be. You could pray and you could ask the Lord to forgive you every day of the same sin over and over. You could ask the Lord to forgive you of that sin. You could be genuinely repenting of that sin, but it will continue to come because you have not filled it with the things of God. So what does he tell us? Verse 22, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. We're to pursue righteousness. Now, there's only one way we're made righteous. That's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only one way we've made right. Jesus made it possible so that we might be able to know him. But here he tells us to pursue righteousness. So we're to pursue what the Lord has provided. It is a right living with the Lord Jesus. We're to pursue being faithful to him. Then we pursue faith. Well, how do you pursue faith? How do you grow in faith? Well, you've got faith. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, and we're to pursue faith by being faithful. When we're faithful, loyal to God, our faith continues to grow. We're to pursue love. Agape love is the love of choice, unconditional, godly love. And we love not because of sentiment. We love not because of feeling. In fact, you may not feel like loving all the time. But we recognize for some reason that we will not be able to understand until we get to heaven. For some reason, God chose to love us through the sending of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because He loved us, we're going to love Him. We're going to seek to grow in that love for Him and for others. And peace, pursue peace. Not an absence of warfare or trouble in this life, but a pursuit of harmony between God and you and between you and other people. The Bible says as far as it depends upon you. We're in hot pursuit of godly fruit in our life. We can almost see the picture now that Paul's painting here. There's vessels in the house. You're that vessel. We're emptying ourselves of these. And as we do, we're pouring back in the fruit. Fruits of the Spirit is going to take place as well. But also, you need to add and fill your vessel. I need to fill my vessel with influence. Now, we need to fill our vessel with godly influence of others. But also, the, it is a readiness to have a godly influence on other people as well. You want godly influence on your life. You want to be ready to have a godly influence on others as well. A sanctified vessel is a pursuit of godliness and holiness. And men, God wants to use you as spiritual leaders. He wants you to be a spiritual leader in your home. He wants you to be an example, a spiritual leader in the church. It is biblical 
And it is true. And he wants you to be affecting and influencing your mate and your children, your grandchildren, your friends, and your co-workers. And to be useful to the master, you must be pursuit for the things of God that will keep you living holy lives. Think about those who have influenced your life. Here we are on Father's Day. Maybe you had the wonderful, fortunate opportunity to have a godly dad who has influenced your life. And if your dad is still alive, you want to be sure to tell him today. If your dad's already gone to be with the Lord, you want to thank the Lord for him as well today. We recognize it's Father's Day like Mother's Day. It's a day of joy and day of celebration perhaps, and, but it's also a day sometimes for sadness or those who we've lost or difficulties as well. And we recognize though that we have a heavenly father who loves and cares for us. He's the only one who is perfect and we are certainly thankful for him. But we find in Proverbs chapter 13, it says this, a wise son hears his father's instructions. And then in Proverbs 15, it says, a fool despises his father's instructions. Notice the contrast there between the wise and the foolish. We want, we want to think seriously about how we are affecting the next generation. Take a look again, if you would, at uh, verse 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. We, we've already talked about how we're not having an argumentative spirit. Instead, we are to be kind and to be teach, influence, whether that's teaching from a platform or whether that's teaching one-on-one, -on -one, and even to those who oppose us so that we might be able to gently instruct Every man and every person here is an instructor of something to someone. I heard my son-in-law quote this. He said, whatever this generation considers optional, the next generation will consider unnecessary. Now think for a moment. Is church optional in your family? Just one way to apply it. I mean... You'll be at church as long as there's not another conflict, as long as there's not a ball game, as long as there's not vacation or something else more important. Or I'm just not really feeling it this Sunday. After all, we can go next week or we can go next month. Well, if that's what your children see as optional and if this phrase is true, then the next generation will consider that unnecessary. What about prayer in your home? Your personal quiet time, study of God's Word, tithing. Loving and serving others. You and, you and I have to decide, what do we want the next generation to learn by our example or by our teaching? Only when we give ourselves over to the will and the truth of God can we humbly, patiently teach and influence others in gentleness and humility, communicate to your children and to others what you know about the Lord Jesus Christ and His love. Imagine the effect that it has, that we know it has today on young people who see people jumping in and out of bed, using guns and violence to escape problems, or even wanting to win a million dollars as their ultimate goal. God needs men who are in the hand of God, who are loving Jesus to teach and show them the truth. Imagine the difference it will make to this next generation for those of us who will teach and for others who will see you and me living for Jesus. How our action speaks volumes. 
And then hand in hand with pursuing the fruit in your life and being a person of influence. By the way, did you see the fruit that came up? Kindness came up. Gentleness shows up in the next picture. Patience, I'm just saying. A lot of fruit there that's in this passage of the things that we need to pursue. But also there's living for Jesus if you're going to fill your vessel. Your heart as a servant is demonstrated in your actions. Again, take a closer look at verse 24. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. There's that fruit of the Spirit. Pursuing Christ in a growing relationship. I don't know if you remembered our verse 26 a moment ago, but instead of being like those who are described in verse 26, who are in the hand of the devil and pursuing Satan's pursuits, instead you want to be like what I said was our key verse in verse 21, be a man of honor who's seeking to follow the master prepared to do any good work. Men may all of our life inside and outside the church and in business and in the home, wherever we may find ourselves, be described as living for Jesus. Notice the last part of that verse 24. Do we have that still up? The last part of verse 24, it says this, patiently enduring evil. Patience, another fruit of the Spirit. But how do we live for Jesus in the midst of this evidently evil in this world? I heard a pastor say this week, when we live and we, for Jesus and we're seeking to serve Him, we do not have a home field advantage. Because our home field is heaven. Any of you ever go to an away game for your team? You go to an away game, you're wearing the different colors. And some places, hey, some places they're really kind to you, even if you're not wearing this, their colors. But there's some places, and I'm thinking one in particular, that they can be outright hostile to you if you're wearing the orange and the blue. Well, we live in this world. There are people who can be downright hostile to you if you're seeking to live for Jesus. You need to know that this is not our home field. We have a heavenly court. We have a home field. We have one in which we're going to go. But we do not have a home field advantage. Ah, but there's something sweet about victory away. Here's the good news. Jesus has already won the victory over the evil in this world. Keep reminding yourself of that. Tell others about it. Believe it in faith. Better yet, continue to read about it in His Word. But those who seem to have the home field advantage are not the enemy. In fact, we want to win them over to our side. Did you catch that? Look at verse 25 again. It says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. That's verse 24. Verse 25. Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We live and we speak the truth in love. Because ours is a higher calling. Ours is not to win arguments. It's not to rid the world of filth. It's not to correct all wrongs. Our job is to not make people better or to make them good. We have one job. <laughs> we always want to bring glory to God in everything we do, but our job, our mission is to win more people to Jesus, win as many people to Jesus as we can. You remember Payne Stewart that we mentioned earlier. His life served as a testimony, a changed life for living for Jesus. The way he died also served as a testimony, or maybe kind of a warning. For hours, his plane was on autopilot. You kept checking the news during the day to see what was happening with the plane on that particular day. I remember when that had happened, all we could do was watch. Nothing could stop the inevitable. 
And our life might be kind of like that. We don't know exactly when, but one day our bodies are going to give out. This life will end. All we do is watch. Boy, it's kind of a downer on Father's Day. But that's not all we can do, is it? We're not just waiting for the inevitable. Jesus has provided an alternative, which is a continuation of a better life beyond this life. And a better life on this life and not a life on autopilot because a life on autopilot is no life at all. It's just waiting for the end. But we recognize we give our life to the Lord Jesus. It is for something better for today and it's waiting on something better for tomorrow as well. So men, let me ask you, do you know that you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and the Lord and Savior of your life? Have you confessed Jesus before others? If the answer is no or I don't know, would you make it certain today? Do not continue to live your life on autopilot. And let me ask you, boys and girls, students and ladies, would you make sure today that you have everything right, that you're at peace with God, which is made possible through Jesus? If the answer is yes, you've made your peace with God, empty and clean your vessel. Clean out your heart and your life and that which does not belong. Then fill your life with that which does belong, which includes the fruits of the Spirit, godly influence, living for Jesus, and with certainty that you're living with Jesus for eternity. Because it is that certainty, it is that eternal perspective that makes us men and women of honor, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Men, I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I pray particularly today for the men here in this congregation, particularly in this particular service, maybe those who are listening. We pray that as men, we pray for those particularly who are believers in the Lord Jesus. Help us to see right now in our heart that which needs to be cleaned out, that which we need to confess, that which we need to turn over to you. And fill us, Lord Jesus, fill us today. Fill us with those fruits of the Spirit. Fill us with that godly influence that we can share with others and influence others. Help us to be living for Jesus and recognize that we're living for Jesus and with Jesus for all eternity. We pray that for the men who are here, Father. We thank you for these men. Blessings upon them, Father. We pray. Thank you so much for the godly men in our church, those who continue to serve the Lord in their home, love you, love their families, love this church. Continue to use them, Father. Help us to be better in all the things that we need to do. Make us more like you. We pray also for the boys and the girls. Pray for the ladies here as well. We thank you for them. We pray also that these same attributes might be in all of our lives, that we might reflect you better. We pray, Father, for those who are here today or those who may be listening today that cannot say for sure that they know that they have a heavenly home. Father, we pray that today might be their day of salvation. They might call upon you, asking you to forgive them of their sins and asking Jesus to be Savior and Lord of their life. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all praise and honor. You are the reason that we've gathered. You're the reason that we sing. You're the reason that we worship. It's in your precious name.